Hi, I'm Alex. And I'm Brenda. Welcome to Conversational Counseling, where counseling and discipleship meet. Even in the midst of confronting other people, we're going to find ourselves confronted often. We're going to be confronted about how we confront, so we're going to have to stay in that posture of humility and teachability. In reconciliation, this is where we're like clearing away the rubble and beginning to repair the ruins of the relationship and of the hearts that are involved. Well, we just want to welcome everybody to episode five, where we're going to be talking about reconciliation. And uh, this is season two of our podcast, It's Bigger Than Forgiveness. And so, Alex, I think maybe a good thing to do at this point would be be to give a high-level overview so we can uh, help our listeners understand why we are saying it's bigger than forgiveness, because clearly it's not less than forgiveness. And we're going to have to cheer first that we finally made it to (laughs) the the pretty part of talking about forgiveness. So uh, we do want to review. And first we talked about um, receive and remember. And those two things are our Godward orientation. They're our vertical. And so when we receive, we're talking about that we can be at peace with other people. Um, We can't be at peace with other people if we're not at first at peace with God. And He pursues us in our sin, and so therefore we can pursue others. And so we allow God to set the parameters and give us the supernatural power to live as spiritual friends with one another. And that's what it means to just live in a Godward orientation before we can even really think about forgiveness. And then um, we have to be aware of our ongoing sins. So we have to remember that we're sinful creatures and we have an ongoing need for forgiveness. And that keeps us in a posture of gratitude and humility toward the Lord. And um, it reminds us and enables us to be more patient with other people. Yeah. And then the third, uh, in our third podcast, we talked about release because sin actually creates a debt and it causes a lot of pain. And so one of the things that we want to do in releasing, and again, this is more of a Godward orientation that we're going to the Lord and we're acknowledging the reality of the pain um, that's been inflicted upon us. And that's just really important. We would call that lament. Um, But also we are so blessed to have a person who cares so deeply about us that we can release this pain too and who we can call upon um, to actually come and, um, you know, be a part of the solution or to um, hold our hearts and keep us free from bitterness. And bitterness is a real temptation. And we talked Mm -hmm. about that a good bit when we're walking through, uh, you know, messy relationships and trying to bring about a measure of reconciliation and restoration. And then um, we moved on to what we're calling wrestling. Our sound engineer helped us come up with a good R word. Wrestling. Wrestling. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Sorry. As we would say in the South, wrestling. Wrestling. And that's with an R, y'all. But that's where we are going to overlook or confront. And the reason we're calling that wrestling is because it takes a lot of wisdom. We're kind of um, going through in, in, in our own hearts and, and parsing out what is our responsibility, what has been hurtful but not sinful, where do we really need to confront, if we're going to confront. Um, and in the overlooking, we're basically just saying we're going to cover this matter in love. We're going to choose not to dwell on it. We're going to choose not to address it. And then in confronting, we want to go and we want to talk to the person. And we talked about how confrontation doesn't have to be ugly. It doesn't have to be this huge you know, event where, um, you know, we're making war with somebody. We're actually coming to make peace with somebody. Mm -hmm. And we talked about some creative ways to do that because, you know, sin separates us from God and from other people. And um, our greatest goal when we go to confront someone is not even so much that 
that you know we are reconciled with them, but that they are reconciled with God. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that really is our motivation, springing from a heart of love and a heart of desire to see this person really be right with the Lord and at peace with God and mm-hmm. then at peace with their neighbor. So today we're going to talk about reconciliation, and we're going to think about, um, we're trying again to make this really practical, mm-hmm. and the way that we're doing that is asking ourselves and other people to think about someone who has sinned against you, because we can talk about these things in the abstract, doesn't have quite the impact, and so we're going to think about it real practically, and we're going to recognize that forgiveness cancels the debt, and we've released someone from um revenge against them, but that doesn't automatically bring about reconciliation and restoration. Yeah, and I think a good way to to think about reconciliation, and this is where we're getting very horizontal, like we are we are moving toward a person. But in reconciliation, this is where we're like clearing away the rubble mm-hmm. and beginning to repair the ruins of the relationship and of the hearts that are involved. And um, it's also the end of estrangement. You know, sin always separates and it creates alienation. And reconciliation is God's process of repair. Um, where we've been separated people, where there could be unity, where there can be wholeness again. I like that idea of clearing away the rubble, repairing the ruins, because again, we're back to the element of time. This doesn't happen quickly. If you are, if you've got a mess and a lot of brokenness, even when you've released someone, even when you're committed to walking in reconciliation with someone, it's going to take some time to clear away the rubble of what was broken and to really fully be able to feel re-engaged with someone. Yeah. And one of the things we talked about earlier on was just how often we want to avoid conflict. Mm -hmm. And um, I love that, you know, Paul tells the Corinthians um, that they have been given, that they've been reconciled to Jesus and been given the ministry of Mm -hmm. reconciliation. So this kind of clearing away the rubble and repairing the ruins, it's not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. We need to look at it differently. Um, We tend to avoid it. We tend to think this is going to be horrible. I don't want to do it. We have fear. We have anxiety. We have shame. But I think we talked about invitation, that confrontation is an invitation to help the person see where they're off the mark with the Lord. They're not loving God, loving their neighbor the way God says, and to be restored to God and their neighbor. And um, so I I think if we can just really remember that we have this ministry of reconciliation, it Mm -hmm. is a ministry calling. It is a calling that we go and we bring people the comfort of the gospel and the call of the gospel, mm-hmm. you know, in their sin that we're saying, hey, you've done this, but there's grace. You've done this and there's forgiveness. You've done this and I want to be restored to you. Yeah. And I think that perspective where it's not all about me, there's just like a higher purpose here does help when we're working through a lot of difficult feelings. You know, it's not, it, it causes me to lift my gaze yeah. and not that I'm not acknowledging the hurt because of course we talked about, we have to do that, but we recognize there's there's a higher purpose here than just me feeling better. And um, we really are talking about that reconciliation is um, bringing someone or helping someone move back into relationship with God and with me. And so I can a little bit choose to wait for the feelings to follow, even if they're not there. Yeah, I think that's a great, a great point. I think naturally, when we've been offended, we go inward Mm -hmm. and it becomes all about me. But I think this challenges us to really look upward and then outward, doing our little upward-outward dance Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) and making it truly about loving God and loving our neighbor. But in doing that, to your point, we're in no way saying that we're not acknowledging 
um, the hurt and that we're not going to bring that hurt to the Lord or to the person who has sinned against us. Yeah, I think this is going to be particularly hard when we're trying to still discern if repentance is there in the other person. And so we're going to make sure that next time when we talk about that full restoration where trust has been restored, we're going to spend some time next episode talking about how to discern that when there may be times when restoration is not possible. So I know that's it's always a big question on everyone's mind, mm-hmm. and we're, we're definitely going there. Today, though, we're going to focus on maybe what we're saying when we are promising to forgive and reconcile with another. And then we're also going to touch a little bit on how we would um, enter into reconciliation and forgiveness if we are the ones who've done harm. So hang on till the next episode right. for the for the difficult to discern relationships. But today we're going to focus on what does it actually mean? What am I saying when I say that I forgive someone? Yeah. And I want to say, Everything you just said is why we've called this, it's bigger than forgiveness. (laughs) Because, I mean, we have unpacked so much throughout the course of this podcast and this season. And um, I just think that these principles are so important that they become a part of our thinking Mm -hmm. and our believing and actually our practice. So one of the, I, I love this practice of knowing that forgiveness is a promise made and a promise kept. And it's really an exchange. We might call this transactional forgiveness, where you and I, if there's sin between us, we're actually making a transaction where I'm asking you to forgive me. And when you say, yes, Brenda, I forgive you, that you're making some promises to me. And these promises are based on the scripture. They're they're not original with us. Um, they've been around for a while. I'm not even sure where they originated. But one of the promises that we make, and I've memorized these, so um, when I'm tempted to be bitter towards someone that yeah. I have told that I have for, I have forgiven you, like these are the promises that I play in my mind. Like, what did I promise this person? And um, and that holds me to a standard, and that holds me accountable, and it guards my heart from really going down that road of nursing that grudge and becoming bitter. But the first promise is, I will. Uh, I promise I will not dwell on your sin in my own mind. And again, this is kind of just the mental rehearsal where I'm going over and over and over again. And this is why bitterness has such great memory. Mm-hmm. Because if you remember something over and over and over again, and you've got the picture in your mind, you're not going to forget it. Um, and, and that just, you know, allows you and protects your heart from in your mind from thinking about somebody in a punitive or vindictive way. And, um, and so I, I also realize this is a point where if it comes to my mind and I'm tempted toward bitterness, I'm immediately going to go back and pray. We know that Satan is a roaring lion. We know the flesh is weak. We know the world is coming after us. We have real enemies that seek to divide us and separate us from one another. And so, um, and some of the patterns we deal with in intimate relationships come up over and over again. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about the need for you know forbearance. And so I think this whole idea of not dwelling on it in my mind is also a way to just go to the Lord and pray for that person, pray for my own heart, pray for um, continued reconciliation and restoration in the relationship. Yeah. And then the next promise is going to be that I promise not to use your sin against you. 
And so this is not to say that the sin is not going to ever be discussed again, because just like you said, there are patterns sometimes in sin that necessitate that we acknowledge things from the past. But it's particularly saying, I'm not going to be vindictive again. It'll only be brought up in a loving manner, and it's only going to be brought up in order to bring further healing and further restoration. So we all know the like, you always, you never conversations Mm -hmm. that we don't. So damaging. (laughs) (laughs) That we are probably prone to do. And yet um, when we're on the other side of that, we know how damaging it is. I don't always do that. Mm -hmm. So we're really promising that we're going to stay away from statements like that. Mm -hmm. And we're going, but we are going to maybe have to discuss patterns. And, but it's going to be done only to bring out further healing. So I'm not Mm -hmm. bringing it up to hurt you. I'm not bringing up to heap guilt and shame and judgment on you. So um, I'm going to avoid those um, polarizing statements and Mm going to try to um, promise that this matter is now a matter that can only bring healing and restoration, not further distance for Mm -hmm. us. And I think about, you know, sometimes people are confused because um, Paul said that love does not keep a record of wrongs. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes um, I've even heard that verse used against somebody who still needed, wanted to have ongoing conversation for reconciliation and restoration and has has been shut down. And so what we're, you know, again, what we're saying is we're just not going to bring it up in ways of a dirty, dirty laundry list. And we know when, you know, some people have really great memory and they can remember that time and the time before and the time before and the time before. And, you know, they're mm-hmm. very historical. And typically being historical makes us hysterical. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we should try to stay away from that. Um, and then the third promise is I promise not to gossip about you or potentially slander you. You know, um, there is a place to talk to trustworthy people who can help us move forward in and in, in toward restoration. But it is a great temptation. And this is true of my life to this very day. You know, there are some things in my life I think, I've been a Christian so long, I thought I was over that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought I was past that. Um, but it's a real great temptation when we are in conflict with someone. And even after reconciliation has happened to go, um, I had a friend tell me one time that gossip makes us feel alive. Mm. And it really is true. There is Mm. something about it, you know, and the Bible tells us gossip is like a choice morsel, Mm -hmm. you know, so there is a delicacy in that. So a real temptation toward that. And we just want to make sure that we are really, um, you know, seeking the best of other people in this process, whether we're in the middle of it or out of it. We want to get help, but we want to talk to trustworthy people who are part of the process, not just people. Typically, you will also just look for people who will agree with you. Right. Right. So a lot of times when we run to people, are we going to that person who's really going to say, Brenda, like you are wrong. You are just as wrong or this is your wrong in it. Or am I just looking for somebody to go, yeah, he was bad. She was bad, you know, and jump on that bandwagon. And sometimes for me, that's, that's almost meant seeking out wise people who I might perceive might disagree with me. And say, you yeah. know, and that's a hard thing to do because people you trust tend to be close to you, but it's making sure that you're talking to someone who you know is not afraid to say the hard thing to you in the mm. midst of whatever you're sharing. Because really what we're doing in all three of these promises, we're actually seeking to seek the good of the other person. Mm-hmm. And so we have to be very careful even of who we br- bring in. We all know that person who is our loyal friend who's never going to yep. be able to see. <laughs> and that's usually us. our phone a friend. Yes. Right? I was like, I need to phone a friend. I'm going to find that. I'm going to call that person who I know is going to take up my offense. Yes. You know. 
Um, and I think, you know, it's also instructive to, if we're on the other side of somebody calling us, like, let's be trustworthy, point people back to Jesus. If somebody's calling us to gossip or slander, or somebody's calling us, they really need help. Let's be trustworthy, not pass that on to other people and be honest to the person who's calling us. So, all right. Well, Alex, we've been talking about confronting someone who sinned against us, but you know, now I think we should shift our focus a little bit to how should we respond when we've been sinned against um, or when we send against someone else and then we're confronted. Yeah, this so we're is kind the of painful flipping part. It. Mm-hmm. I know. I know. I know. It's like, uh, what's worse, having to confront somebody or be confronted? They, they're both can just seem horrible if we don't see this as ministry of reconciliation, if, as, if we truth. don't see this as gospel work and grace. Like this is grace work. This is God pouring out his grace. If you can acknowledge your sin to confess it and you have a friend, a faithful friend willing to confront you, like that is so much gospel grace that we need to rest in that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm glad we're talking about this here because I think we need to remember that relationships are complex and very rarely are we in a relationship where it's so clean that someone just hurt me and then I responded (laughs) perfectly and I can, and then I can go with this clean slate and confront them Mm -hmm. and, and we can have this reconciliation. It's just doesn't it doesn't work that way in my life? No, <laughs> yeah. we sin, and then um, we sin in the confrontation part. So then, then we have to go back and talk about the original sin, and then all the sin that surrounded trying to make things right. Right? Exactly. <laughs> well, yes, that's the way it usually is for me. It starts getting really tangled, and so even in the midst of confronting other people, we're going to find ourselves confronted often, and or like you said, we're going to be confronted about how we confront. So we're going to have to stay in that posture of humility and teachability. Mm -hmm. whether we're confronting or being confronted. But particularly when the tables get turned and we realize, "Uh Mm uh-oh, I did something too. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to be open to how the other person views me and what they saw. Yeah, I heard somebody one time say that we should have such a view that when somebody comes to us, we're like, that's it? Because if you really knew my heart and my thinking, my <laughs> actions, you would come with so much more, right. <laughs> you know, just to have that posturing of humility. Well, let's talk about some ways we can demonstrate humility and teachability. And and one way is that, you know, if we don't minimize, blame shift or deny wrongdoing, you know, a lot of times we can, we can go and confront or be confronted. And there's always the, well, if you had done this, but only, you know, I wouldn't have done that. Maybe when, I mean, all of these words that try to justify our behavior and our attitudes and our actions and our words. And so um, we have to lay that down. That's that inner defense attorney right. that wants to rear its ugly head. And it is, he is strong in and, me. <laughs> and we've been doing it since the garden. Ed Welch says that when we are confronted with our sin, we hide and we point. And it's exactly what yep. Adam and Eve did. We hide by minimizing or denying. And we point when we're blaming other people and shifting the responsibility to someone else. Mm. Yeah, it's been going on a long time. Yeah. So another uh, way I think to demonstrate humility is, you know, a lot of times when we're going to someone or we're being confronted by somebody, they, a lot of times they've actually sinned too. Right. And it's really easy to become focused on their sin. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And um, I think about a pie, you know, if somebody sinned against me and their sin is 80%, but my sin is 20%, God wants me to take responsibility, 100% responsibility for my 20%. And, um, and that can be really hard because it feels like the scales are really uneven. But if we really understand that sin is not defined primarily by what I do against you, but God is defining that as mm-hmm. how I am sinning against Him. 
and then, you know, sinning against you, then it becomes incredibly important to confess that sin because I'm going to the Lord with my sin first, and then I'm coming to you to ask forgiveness as well. And the other thing I've just seen is, you know, when we do that, even if we don't have the greater uh, percentage, if you will, of responsibility of the sin and the conflict, it has such a humbling effect very often it will have a humbling effect on the other person to lay down their arms. And then they are now willing to also say, wow, here's what I did. Will you also please forgive me? Yeah. And I think when we're willing to take 100% responsibility, we're going to sincerely ask for forgiveness. Mm. And so this one is, this is one of those things that is kind of a hot button issue with me Mm. because I really grit my teeth when somebody gives me the, I'm sorry I upset you. Mm. Apology. I get really... (laughs) Why is that, Alex? I mean, that seems like such a nice thing to say. I'm sorry I upset you. Well, the way it feels to me is you've just (laughs) turned it around and you've just made it my problem. Right. Like your actions or attitude, my problem. And it feels like the... It feels like it's just another way to blame. Yeah. and But it's dressed up really pretty and that's what Mm -hmm. makes it particularly difficult. Yeah. So let's don't use that verbiage. We're going to give you some better verbiage. Um, I think also being willing to talk honestly about the shame involved Mm -hmm. and the the shame of the sin and then the fear of the confrontation. Right. Um, I think both of those, if we can get those out on the table early, like I'm feeling a lot of shame. I'm really afraid to come, you know, talk to you, confess my sin to you. Or if somebody comes to you, like I want to respond well in this, but I'm feeling a lot of shame right now. And I'm really fearful of this confrontation. Like if we can just name that and put that out there, um, I think it just gives a greater understanding. And I know for me, if somebody comes to me and says, I'm feeling so much shame and I'm really fearful of this confrontation, it immediately makes me want to get on their side. Mm -hmm. Like I want to put my arm around them, you know, not my boxing gloves on. I want to be like, oh my goodness, come, let's talk. Why do you feel shame? And you don't need to fear talking to me. Like there's going to be forgiveness here. Mm -hmm. Let's just talk it out. Yeah, I think this is a really big one for me, again, because I believe if... If I've done wrong to you and you have to come tell me about it, I really, in my heart, believe the relationship is over. If I'm wrong, you can't love me. Mm -hmm. And so it's been really important for me to name shame. It doesn't completely disarm shame, but it does really make a dent in it. Mm -hmm. And it enables me to be able to almost name what's going on and take a deep breath to be able to receive what the person's saying without defensiveness because I'm recognizing what I'm battling in my own heart. And I can quiet that a little bit and really seek to listen. And so this one's been really important to me. And it's hard. It's hard Mm -hmm. to do. Well, and I think that really takes us all the way back to receive. Because the only way you can do that is to really, really be rooted and anchored in the fact that Jesus took your guilt and your shame. And you have all the love you will ever need. You have all the forgiveness, all the acceptance, because sometimes people will come and they will continue to punish you and they won't do this well and they won't do this right. And it might even end a friendship. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, so it can be some of that fear is like, yeah, between man and man, it may really go south. Mm -hmm. But then to be so rooted and anchored that. And one more thing about it, because it has been a lot of time over the last several years studying shame. One other thing it does is in the moment that someone comes to tell me that I've done wrong, I immediately 
this is going to sound maybe weird, but I leave myself and I stand to accuse myself. Mm -hmm. And being able to say how I'm feeling lets me be able to stay with myself, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, I'm tempted to defensiveness. But for me, what I'm even more tempted to is um, I'm going to cross-examine myself. Like Mm -hmm. I'm I'm tempted to self-condemnation in that Mm -hmm. moment. So naming shame helps me to say, okay, this is where I am. I don't have to go over here and become my own prosecuting attorney. So we're tempted to be the defense attorney, but we're also tempted to be the prosecuting (laughs) attorney. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great point. Yeah. All right. Well, another way we can show humility and teachability is to ask them, um, not just what we did, but what was the impact? Yeah, I, I love this one too because so often we, um, when when we've been when I've been confronted, now I've named shame, but now I just want to get to the place where we can be reconciled as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. So I want to say, please forgive me. Mm-hmm. I don't want to. I, I I don't like. I'm sorry. You feel that way. <laughs> I, I want to say, please forgive me. But I want to get there really quickly. Mm-hmm. And sometimes in getting there quickly, it leaves the other person who's been harmed feeling hollow or empty or even left out Mm -hmm. because it's almost like I've checked the box Mm -hmm. and just done what I knew I had to do. I think this (laughs) question helps slow that down a little bit and helps Mm -hmm. to be able to say, okay, I understand that I said that thing, but can you tell me how that made you feel? Like, how did that impact you? Mm -hmm. What has been the ongoing narrative in your head after Mm -hmm. that happened? And so it enables me to go a little bit deeper and to really make a full confession and asking Mm -hmm. of forgiveness instead of a kind of a checking the box. Yeah. And I think it's so good for the person making the confession to hear the impact because it is actually a deterrent to continue to sin against the person. If you never hear that impact, it's like, okay, I sinned. You forgave me. Whoop, We can just move on. But when you begin to say, or I begin to tell you like, this is how this really hurt me. Now your heart is grieved over your sin. Mm -hmm. So often we don't grieve over our sin. And if we're not grieving over our sin, we're probably not going to be mortifying or putting our sin to death. Like, it's just not that big of a deal. Um, So I think that really helps that as well. You know, another reason I like that is because when you you said this is a transaction, we can be tempted to think that that means it's not relational. Mm. And when we get to this part of talking about impact, we're really recognizing that it's not transactional in the sense that it's devoid of emotion, it's devoid of... Um, just personhood, right? Like mm-hmm. there's something, you could have said that thing to someone else and it could have been sinful and it, it impacted them in a completely different way. Mm-hmm. But when I'm telling you how it impacted me, yeah. we're able to move together in reconciliation because we're actually moving towards another person. Yep. We're not just exchanging something. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good and helpful point. I think it can really be helpful as well to be prepared to tell the person how you are going to change or be different, Uh what your plan is for the future, and let them know you're going to work on it. Like that's real repentance. If you're confronted or if you sin against someone and you don't have any plan to change, and particularly this is a habitual ongoing thing, uh, that's just not true repentance. And that is going to really inhibit restoration and what we're going to talk about in our next episode. And again, so this may not be one conversation. Right. Because I, you know, if you're me, again, and you're shutting down, like I only maybe be able to get to the place of saying, please forgive me. Mm-hmm. How has this impacted you? 
And it might take me a while to process through what really happened to be able to have a follow-up conversation to say, okay, what is helpful in the future? What, what can I do? And the next question is, you know, asking, is there any other way that I've wronged you? I might not be able to take that much information in, in one mm-hmm. sitting. And I've made this mistake many times in my marriage because I, as the one confronting, come ready. I've got all my points, mm-hmm. but you know, Mason may not be ready to receive all of that. And it's mm-hmm. not really for the good of the relationship to unload all that. And so we have to be able to be honest with one another of like, okay, I understand to this point. Can you give me a pause here? And can we pick up again mm-hmm. tomorrow morning? Mm, yeah, that's so good. So it's ongoing, um, relationally ongoing. Well, another way we think we can be humble and teachable is to make our confessions specific and not general and to use biblical categories. Um, you know, it's easy mm-hmm. just to go into somebody and say, hey, man, I was a jerk. Yeah. You know, I'm sorry. I hurt you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, but, you know, it would be better to say I sinned by being selfish when I demanded you do it my way and I was unloving and impatient because I wanted to be in control. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to get from I was a jerk to that other language is going to take time in my own heart. And we talked so much about that in the first three episodes of all the work that we need to do before we even come to somebody, because that is such a hollow, hollow confession, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, really. Um, so specific, not general, and then using these biblical categories. And and not only that, what you did and what you admitted was you, you talked about, you alluded to behavior. I was selfish. I demanded behavior. And I was unloving and impatient. Now we're talking about attitudinal. We're mm-hmm. talking about heart level here. So you took your confession to another level by saying, it's not just my outward behavior that was sinful. I'm even acknowledging that my heart posture towards you was sinful. Exactly. Very good. Okay, and so let's talk about um, the language of forgiveness, the language of of what these promises say, because we're not going to say, I'm sorry I upset you. Mm -hmm. We're not going to say, I'm sorry you feel that way, Mm -hmm. but we're going to specifically say, please forgive me. I know when my children were little, what do they want to say? They want, you know, apologize to your sister. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you know, (laughs) and run out of the room. We are going to try to lean into the language of please forgive me. Um, That's what we're asking for. And so we're going to use it. Please forgive me for, and we're going to name what we've done. And we're going to try, like you said, to use biblical terms around it. I was selfish. Please forgive me for being selfish. Please forgive me for being harsh. And then um, if we can, like you you did a minute ago, even acknowledge the heart. I was impatient when I did that. Mm-hmm. I was unloving towards you. And then we're going to talk about, I realize it affected you by this, or I realize this is what happened when I did it. And that's our acknowledgement of the impact of Mm -hmm. our actions. And and then we're going to say, I should have, and we're going to put some language to what we would like to do in the future. So we're going to give language to what our plan, so to speak, of repentance is. And what we're doing there is we're acknowledging that we understand that we want the relationship to move forward. And reconciliation means it's going to have to look different in the future. And I think we can see from these three elements 
abundance. If we have, we can make this good, hearty, rich apology if we've sought to really understand when someone's come to confront us these things. What did I do? How did, you know, how did that affect you? And what would you have wished that I had done? Those are really the three elements of the apology. What did I do? How did it affect you? And what do I want to do in the future? So it feels, I hope it feels a lot, again, less transactional and more relational Mm -hmm. and more like what reconciliation should be. Yeah. And I think something so beautiful happens when we do it this way. And I've seen it a lot in my close personal relationships. And that is, I may go from being pretty upset with the person to wanting to defend them. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, um, when you come to me with this humility and this teachability, rather than going, you're darn right, you did all that <laughs> and you did more. I'm more like, oh, it, it's okay. It really, wasn't it's, that bad. It wasn't that bad. I mean, it could just have been <laughs> irate 10 minutes ago. But it's amazing just mm-hmm. how humility begets humility. And all of a sudden, when you come with such a hu- you know, humble, teachable posture, my heart melts. And then I want to be for you and not against you. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I even have to make myself like acknowledge like, okay, yes, I see you sinned. I will forgive you because mm-hmm. at that point I almost just want to cover it mm-hmm. and go, really, it's okay. We don't, you know, we can just don't, don't even go there. Like this just makes me feel so sad for you. <laughs> you know, I feel so bad that you're so humbled and that you're so, you know, broken over this, but that's just a beautiful place to be. And I will say in counseling with couples, this is one of the hardest transitions for me to get people to see. They just want to go back to, I'm sorry, I apologize. Mm -hmm. And I just hope that through a teaching like this, we can see the richness Mm -hmm. of what the whole picture would look like and how, like you said, it's it's not just about, I'm making a promise, you receive the promise, but it's a whole relational dynamic where I am demonstrating something about my relationship with the Lord and my desire for relationship with you. Um, as a result. And it's just, it's beautiful. It is gospel. Yeah. It and, is gospel. And we go back to those, that language you used, r- clearing mm-hmm. away the rubble. If we get to this level of apology, we have cleared all the rubble. That's right. You know, it's like, there's nothing left to say, and we really can start to rebuild. Yeah. Well, I know one thing we just talked about is we do have to be careful not to judge repentance by the quality of the confession, because not everybody you talk to will know this. You know this now, but, you know, not everybody else is going to know it. Yeah, I call this weaponizing good teaching, you know, Mm -hmm. and we do this. And you mentioned marriage counseling when I talk to couples and I and I do try to teach what a good apology sounds like. And then it becomes weaponized. Well, see, you're not really sorry because you didn't say that you were impatient with me. And And Alex said. <laughs> oh yeah, I love that one. Yeah. The Alex said, "It's like no, 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 no." Jesus said, <laughs> "Yeah, please don't use me as a weapon in your relationship." Yeah. So we are we love to teach us. We think it does really help to to completely clear away rubble and leave place for rebuilding. But we want to recognize that we're all works in progress Mm -hmm. and that someone can be honestly repentant and not Mm -hmm. use the exact language that Alex and Brenda just said Mm -hmm. on that podcast. Like they really can. So we want to give grace even here in the way that um, we receive someone's apology. Mm And I think, you know, in our particularly our more intimate family and friend relationships, we need to learn this. Mm-hmm. We need to model it, mm-hmm. let it become our practice. And then really through modeling, we're teaching. Yeah. 
And then maybe when we have the opportunity, maybe you have younger children, you can begin to teach and train them in this. Maybe you can have a, a one-off conversation with your husband, like, hey, I listened to this, or why don't you listen to this podcast? Mm-hmm. I think this would be a great way to, you know, for us to begin to teach our family to relate to one another. And so we just want to be patient with people, and we're not trying to set up a barrier here um, in giving language. We just want to give the language because we think it's beautiful and useful and helpful and restorative. So I loved your point about you're ready to go defend the other person. And Mm -hmm. it can be hard to know how to respond to an apology like this. And I love that Brene Brown teaches that um, they teach in their family that when someone apologizes, that you thank them. And I think that's really beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, f- the funny thing is, if you've ever had someone do it and you apologize for them and they say, thank you for apologizing, and you're expecting that, no, it was okay. You're, and they go, thank you. You're like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> you're agreeing that I said it? Yeah. But there is something really sweet, I think, with yeah. knowing how to acknowledge when someone has given mm-hmm. you something really precious mm-hmm. and that that maybe it keeps us from doing that. Oh, it's okay. How do you, oh, yeah, no, you do. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. I think where I've landed is just, of course, I forgive you. I love you. Yes. You know, just, I think maybe that's a great thing to practice. Like when's, when you're on the other end of this, what are you going to say? Mm-hmm. Like be prepared to have an answer that will let the person know they've been restored, mm-hmm. you know, that's which good. I think is really good. Well, Alex, we would say, and Jesus would say, that Christian relationships should be marked by asking for and granting forgiveness on a regular and normal part of our relating. Mm. And um, so often it's just not. You know, Proverbs 28, 13 says, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. And I know I need a lot of mercy in my life. And so I want to be quick to confess. I want to be um, wise and discerning in how I'm approaching other people about their sin. But it would be interesting to do a poll of Christians, professing Christians, to see how many of them would say, in my family, we, on a daily basis, people are asking or granting forgiveness. Because I can almost guarantee you, if you've got several people living under the same roof on a daily basis, you've got sin. Right. Yeah. And sometimes parents can think that that's something they should not do with their children. And mm. I know you and I both say all the time when we're, when we're talking specifically to parenting that actually apologizing in your home to your spouse is beautiful, but apologizing to your children and asking them to forgive you is really putting the gospel on display for mm. them. And they will learn more from that than any amount mm-hmm. of teaching that you do. So yeah. we really do encourage parents even to ask forgiveness from their children. But a lot of what we talked about so far, Brenda, has really been about Christian on Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there are times when we are in relationship with unbelievers, and I think what we want to encourage people is you still ask forgiveness. There's a little bit of a um, misapplication, I think, of uh, leaving a, living a life worthy of your calling and thinking that in front of unbelievers, we have to act like we don't get it wrong. Mm. And so I think that we really need to recognize there are going to be many times that we have to ask forgiveness of an unbeliever. And again, we want to do that. We want to make sure that, that and, and recognize it's the most powerful way for us to put the gospel on display in front of them without sharing the gospel. Mm-hmm. And that, But that might mean that we appeal to them on the basis of the impact of, of the 
way that we've hurt them or their conscience or vice versa, that Mm -hmm. we may not be able to appeal to scripture to say, here's how you've wronged me, but you can say, here's how this has impacted me. Mm -hmm. And this may not be the person that you want to be. So I wanted to ask Mm -hmm. you to acknowledge it. Yeah. And I don't want there to be anything in between us and our relationship. And Mm -hmm. this is a wedge. This is separating us. So there's a lot of conversation and verbiage I think we can have with non-Christians that can be very loving and encouraging and yet truthful Mm -hmm. as well. Um, And then, you know, I just think whether really you're dealing with a Christian or a non-Christian, if a person won't acknowledge their sin, you you just, you're kind of at an impasse. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So what do you do? You've been sinned against, you've gone to the person, they're not acknowledging it. And, you know, our response is our responsibility. Mm -hmm. And so I think at this point, we just have to recognize, you know, I've done everything I can. I have fulfilled my responsibility to the Lord. I'm going to pray for the person. I'm going to entrust this person to God. I'm going to trust God with, you know, whatever happens. And I'm just reminded of the verse in Romans 12, 18 that says, as far as it depends on you, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. And so there will just be times where we will be in relationships that we have done all we can to bring about peace Mm -hmm. and to bring about reconciliation, um, but it just won't be possible. Yeah. And then if we are in relationship with an unbeliever, with a believer who is not willing to acknowledge, then it may be time to look at the principles of Matthew 18 and to bring another person along with you and to involve other wise counsel in that process. Yeah. And which we'll get into a lot more in our next episode when we're going to be talking about restoration Mm -hmm. and moving toward wholeness and peace. visuals and discussion questions for this podcast, sign up at knownministries.org. Because we learn better together, we'd love for you to share this podcast with others and gather to discuss it. If you take a moment to like, follow, subscribe, and rate this podcast, it'll help tremendously. We'd love to connect on social at Known Ministries. This podcast is made possible by engineer and producer Zachary Tate-Smith executive producer Malia Smith, and generous donors. The information presented is for the enjoyment of all and is not intended as either medical advice or counseling, nor is it specific to any particular individual. It is not intended to replace counseling, medical care, or professional advice. Please contact 911 if you're having an emergency.